KSPN, Los Angeles. Your city, your teams, your station. 710 ESPN. This is the Saturday Morning Happy Hour on 710 ESPN. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. With the Cambros. Seven ten ESPN. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. Saturday morning happy hour. Uh, we are joined now, Andy, by Tanya Ganguly from the LA Times. Who is uh, how many? How much longer do you have in your quarantine before you're allowed to leave your room, Tanya? I get to leave tomorrow. I think afternoon or evening. They have to come bring me a credential, and I get to take off this green wristband of shame. That, uh, <laughs> that I <wear. laughs> Now, like, how ham do you plan to go all over the campus once you're allowed to be free range? Like, are you, are you going to be running all over the place? You're going to pace yourself? Like, how antsy are you to be out in the wild? I so I don't know how much time you guys have spent in Florida in the summer. But I used to live in Orlando, and it's really unpleasant out there. So I think what's going to happen is I'm going to, like, go outside. I'm going to be like, I'm going to run. And then I'm just going to hate it so much, and I'm going to quickly go back inside. But just (laughs) having the option to go outside is, like, a luxury at this point. Now, when you're outside, does that mean, like, when you're outside, like, you could hang out in the lobby of the hotel or something, right? You don't just say you need to leave your room. Or, like, are you expected when you're not working to be in your room? Like you're grounded. No, no, no. I think I. Well, I'm, I think we're going to find out more about the rules, but I do think we can be out. Um, we're we're going to be able to. There's a restaurant that we're going to be able to go to. I'll actually be able to see. I haven't seen. I know that Kyle Goon is here somewhere. I haven't physically seen him at all. I've just. I'm I'm aware of his presence because of social media, but I'll be able to see like see him. I'll be able to go to practice and see right. people. So. I thought you were going to say um, you were aware of his people. presence because yeah. of a, a disturbance in the force. Um, I, <laughs> how are you doing mentally? Because we've seen a lot of like a lot of stuff from Ben Golliver on social media, and he uh, believe he's, is he was with CBS still. He's clearly gone insane um, inside his room. <laughs> how are you? He's with the Washington Post now. Um, oh, he's with he, the Post. Yes, okay. he is going insane. That's true. Um, I actually, it's funny because like. The first couple of days, like, we were all checking in with each other a lot. Like, hey, how's it going? How are you, how are you holding up? I, I haven't really ta- I haven't talked to Ben in several days. There's a few other reporters that I haven't talked to in several days. I think, like, the first – I think, like, I was doing okay. And then I filed my story on uh, Thursday morning. I filed a story just about, like, what it was like. And I wrote a line about how it's actually gone by faster than I thought. And, like, by the end of Thursday, like, by the time I went to bed Thursday, I just was, like, completely losing my mind. So I, th- <laughs> I think I, like, jinxed myself by saying everything's fine and then, and then started to descend after that. What's been the most challenging part of this so far, Tanya? We're talking with Tanya Ganguly, covers the Lakers for the LA Times, and she's still in the true quarantine part of being in the bubble in Orlando. Like, what – I, I, that might be a weird question to be asking about being stuck in your room, but like, what's what's been the hardest part of it so far? I think that you, I mean, we all got kind of used to being at home a lot, right, during those last four months. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that like feeling like a normal human is pretty difficult um, because 
I just do everything from the exact same spot every day. You know, like I have a desk and and in the beginning I was like, I'm going to try to like keep a routine and I'm going to eat at the desk and I'm going to work over here. And, but it's like, you just start to lose like the, the will to do all of those things after a few days. So I've basically just like been sitting in one place. Um, I do some workouts, um, but, but, you know, yesterday I kind of decided that I'm not going to force myself to like be really active and work out every day because I just, it's, it'll be over soon and then I'll get back to it. And I'll just like, for now, just kind of like do whatever feels like a nice thing to do. Whatever like, that could be, whatever that could like be. Like drink wine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you had that um, great photo uh, up on your social media. <laughs> they delivered you a bottle of wine and it, there were four glasses stacked. But you encountered a problem, Tanya? I did. I couldn't get them apart. So <laughs> I just kept them together, and I poured wine into the top glass, and I drank it like that. <laughs> it so worked. It was a solution. It worked. It worked. So two things. One, I actually was able to detach them a few days later. And I was very excited about that, and I was very impressed with myself. But two, I ordered another bottle. So that bottle was Tuesday. I ordered another bottle yesterday, and they brought me detached glasses. Oh. Maybe, why maybe are they bringing you so many glasses? Struggles. But why are they bringing you that many glasses to begin with? They know you're in there by yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. I have no idea. <laughs> that just seems wasteful. Um, yeah. So, the, I, I, you know, the, the Lakers are out and they're practicing, you know, Dwight Howard spoke to the media today about, you know, his yeah. punishment uh, being chastised for not wearing a mask and all that, you know, from, from what you're able to tell, how, how is this going so far for them? Um, I think it's going pretty well for them. I think that there's, you know, one the thing that I wrote about yesterday um, is that, this environment is giving the players a something that like we've all been missing, which is it's giving them human contact um, with like friends, with like people outside of their immediate household. Um, like J.R. Smith was talking about this yesterday. He's like, during the season, we don't get to talk to, we don't get to, we don't get to spend time with people that are in other markets or are like, he's close friends with Kyle Lowry. He was like, Kyle and I have talked about his family. Like we've just really caught up on things that we hadn't been able to before. And I think that's been really valuable for them. Um, so that like, you know, off, that's an off the court thing. Uh, Dwight Howard, obviously you've seen him on Instagram live. I'm sure he's constantly on it. Um, just like there, there's a lot of things that the league has done to like help them enjoy this time. Um, you know, and I think they're all, it's been good for them all to be able to, to practice again. This is something they haven't done in four months. So I think that it's, these are all things that even though it's a little weird and I'm sure they miss their families. Um, these are all things that they're enjoying getting back to. And I think that's really important, Tanya. We're talking to Tanya Ganguly, covers the Lakers for the L.A. Times. She's down in the bubble in Orlando, still in the quarantine stage, like a true room quarantine. But the more these guys can find ways to enjoy themselves down there or just flat out find it more enjoyable than I think they expected heading into it, beyond the mental health benefits for these guys, you know, particularly 
for players like, say, the Lakers, who, you know, there's an expectation they could be there a long time. The more that they're actually enjoying it, the less likely they are to risk anything that I think could breach the, the sanctity of the bubble, you know, in terms of leaving or trying to bring people in or anything like that. It actually, I think, helps the experiment work. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, but, you know, we're so early in it right now. They've only been here for, the Lakers have been here for nine days. So there's a long way to go. And, you know, I think that's definitely going to be something that we have to keep watching as this thing progresses. So, Tanya, we, we've taken a lot of calls today about sort of getting into the context of like the NBA restart while the pandemic is actually getting worse. Because when when this plan was formulated, you know, it seemed like America had kind of bent the curve and we had done, you know, stuff like that. And, it, you know, we'd gotten better in some ways. And and now, obviously, Florida has really turned the country. It's not, One of the things the NBA spoke openly about was that the idea of, like, we really don't want to be in a position where it looks like we're taking up tests that other people can't get or whatever it might be. There are still delays in testing. I think there's more need for testing than the NBA was expecting. The whole thing looks different than the NBA was expecting. Has there been kind of a response from the league to the to the the idea that okay, it's it's worse out there than we were hoping it would be? We're doing a lot of tests, whatever it might be. Are they have they changed what they're trying to do? Maybe you know offering tests to the rest of the country. Um, what kind of response is there? I think what they have landed on. I, I mean, I think they moved the goalposts several times on this, right? So mm-hmm. initially, they had said that they. They had both worried about the um, the the optics of NBA players getting tests that other people couldn't get. They worried about that at first. They also at first wanted to see the pandemic getting better. They wanted to see cases going down. Both of those things have completely been replaced by just a desire to do this. Um, I think they realized that the money that they were going to lose um, and the consequences of not restarting the season for them as an organization were too great. And so they chose to just worry about that and not worry about those other things. I think their perspective, they're using a company called BioReference to mm-hmm. um, to perform the testing. And I mean, I'm getting tested every single day and I will be after I get out of quarantine, too. Um, so they're using this company called BioReference and BioReference says that it. it I think what their position is, is that this isn't um, this. It, these tests aren't tests that are being taken away from the general public, which is right. the argument that the Lakers made, too, when the Lakers tested everybody. And, you know, there were so many horror stories about people in L.A. who couldn't get tested when they very clearly were exposed to somebody who had the disease. I, I think I don't know if you guys remember that story. The first person in L.A. County who died of it her husband had given her CPR and he yes. wasn't able to get a test. Yes, um, and that, that happened right around the time when all of the Lakers got tested and people were furious. But what the Lakers, you know, like their, their feeling on it was, look, we have a relationship with UCLA. Like we went and got our test done there. Like that's not, I mean, anybody well, could pay for it, but you know, and so. I, I also like feel they, like, not to interrupt you, Tanya, but I, but I also feel yeah. like in the case of the Lakers, that situation that they had access to testing that the average person like you or me or you know countless other people don't have that's a separate issue than whether or not it was smart or responsible 
for the Lakers to test their players there. And to me, if you remove the issue of testing availability and just look at the scenario, which was a bunch of these players were in contact with a Brooklyn Nets roster where like a quarter of them tested positive, should they be tested? The answer is yes. Like common sense would say they should be tested. So there are separate issues that I think the country is dealing with in general, but that, that's what I think makes it complicated for the NBA. Because in a lot of ways, I, I think they're doing something that's responsible in terms of looking out for the health of their players. And if they're going to be attempting to start the league at all, and you could argue whether they should or shouldn't, but if they're going right. to be doing it at all, they're trying to do it in the way that's most responsible. But the, the issues that go on across this country are, are the problems that exist, whether they're doing this or not. Right. Yes, I, I, yes you're right about that. And it's just, it's, I think ultimately, how, I guess, I'm glad, I'm glad you agree. <laughs> how, how, I guess, Tanya, ultimately from there, how, how comfortable do you think the league is with the idea of there's going to be people unhappy about this? Because I think there's no way to actually do this in a way that's optically pleasing to everyone. Yeah. I mean, there isn't. Um, I think that they've made peace with that. I mean, that's just kind of the feeling that you get. They're doing, you know, they're, they're, uh, as they see it, they're doing the best they can to do this as safely as possible. You know, they've talked about having created an environment. I just, you know, I, I would, I just, I think it's just worth noting, you know, that the, their goals have changed. You know, their, yes. what, what they have said is important has changed. Um, they've brought their entire, they've brought the, the NBA into the middle of a hot spot. So, um, and, and they, you know, today we talked to Dwight Howard about, I'm sure you guys saw that Dwight got told on for not wearing a mask and he yes. was just very annoyed by this. He was like, this is so pointless. We're getting tested every day. This is a safe environment. We can't leave. Why would I need to wear a mask in here? He's like, I'm, people outside need to wear a mask, but why do I need to wear it? So, you know, they're, it's a, uh, well, Dwight's wrong. I think <laughs> I'll just say it. Dwight's wrong. <laughs> right. But, 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 but you understand the point he's making. Yeah, for sure. He's wrong, but he's still like, it's it, <laughs> just wear the stupid I mean, But mask, what I'm Dwight. saying is they, they believe that they have created, mm-hmm. they, they, they believe that they, you know, they have done whatever they can to be as safe as possible for their players. And I think they're willing to take the hit of, you know, to the hit from other people of, the things that they're doing right. that aren't that maybe aren't that don't look good. Uh, uh, Tony Gangoli covers the Tony Gangoli covers the the uh, Lakers for the LA Times. She is in the quarantine bubble. I'm looking very much forward to you getting out of the room. I can finally take off my free Gangoli T-shirt uh, that I've been wearing for the last <laughs> week, um, just uh, in, in support of you. Um, uh, really quick, Tanya, before before we let you go, the last newsletter you referenced it uh, before that came out Thursday for the L.A. Times. It's a fun read. I, I hope there's more of these. Um, I'm reading from it. It's Thursday and I have binge watched two Netflix series from start to finish. Two seasons each. I'd uh, rather not say what they are. If Brian and I can guess what the these shows are, will you cop to it? Yes. Can you give us like a couple guesses? Sure. Yes. I am a killer. No. The confession uh, tapes. 
<laughs> Dead to Me. Uh, I have seen Dead to Me, but I did not watch it in quarantine. It's a good show. It is. How, good. how about the floor? How about the floor? How about the floor is lava? No. Okay, that was my that was my only one. My last guest, VOA. <laughs> no, I don't even. Are, so, are these are these shows that I should watch at some point? No, I, I was looking up. It said in there that there were two seasons, so I was looking up two season Netflix shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Secret safe. Um, <laughs> all right. Looking forward to you getting out of your room, Tanya. And we're happy you're not Thank just you. referring to it as room at this point. Um, <laughs> be, be safe. Looking forward to the rest of your coverage. Tanya Ganguly, LA Times. Thanks a lot. Um, all right. So there's a lot to, lot to talk about there. A lot to talk about, like, with the, the comparing the NBA to the NFL, um, because the NFL is going to try to start their uh, season really this weekend and into early next uh, with training camps starting to open. Uh, we'll do that next. Amy Trask coming up in about 10 minutes. Uh, Brian Kamenetsky, Amy Kamenetsky, Saturday morning happy hour, 710 ESPN. You're listening to the Saturday morning happy hour with the Cam Brothers. It was between the brothers, King. This is the Saturday morning happy hour on 710 ESPN. All right, so we got Amy Trask coming up in about uh, 10 minutes. She is, of course, former Raiders executive, now works with CBS. And uh, just a great person to have on today, given all the NFL news, Andy. Um, you know, we have really haven't even had a chance to talk about Daniel Snyder, and we will uh, with Amy. But, like, the stuff that Tanya was talking about uh, when we had Tanya Ganguly on with the LA Times and the sort of the concessions that the NBA has made in terms of uh, testing and the optics and all this kind of stuff, the NFL, if they're at all concerned about that, it's rosters of 50-plus players, and they're going to have to have probably larger taxi squads this year than normal, so maybe 60, 70 players that would need to be tested all the time. All of that support staff, larger coaching staffs, so this and that and the other. Just the testing infrastructure alone with the NFL is an incredibly daunting thing. And by the way, they don't quite have even a plan for, for this in place yet. Yeah, I'm looking at a report from uh, Dan Graziano from ESPN about a, a document memo that went out across the league. And apparently there's information in there. It says contact tracing procedures, including uh, connects on proximity recording devices that must be worn by all team personnel while the facility will be used to identify in-game close contacts. For example, if the player tests positive, teams can identify each player, coach or team employee who had close contact with them. The document also defines close contact as a uh, pertains to the coronavirus, like I'm thinking for the NFL and for football and the way football works, like contact tracing is going to be everybody. I mean, like literally. Well, but, everyone. Yeah, but this is. I will say, like I saw, I read that report. The whole bleep and that team. actually was the only thing. You're right, but that's the. There are way. I, I wonder. I'm. I, this is a fascinating thing to me because I think what we're going to find out here, there are probably players like depending on how you do a huddle, for example. Like, are you going to have to re reimagine how players huddle up are they going to do you know play calling um you know can you do play calling inside everybody's helmet in the same way that you know coaches send it into to players because you know the wide otherwise the wide receivers and the linemen offensive linemen may not mix that much 
in a game. And I actually thought this was the one part of this setup, this contact tracing inside games and the use of data and tracking and all that kind of stuff where you actually could like that's that felt like, okay, that's a thing to me. At least sort of answers the question of how the hell do you know who's been running up against each other during a game? The bigger question is there's like, you know, the, the, the part that stuck out to me, quantity of testing and procedures still negotiating. Like you got to know that stuff before people show up and people are showing up no later than Tuesday. Well, it's interesting. You and I have talked about this before leading up to this point where it is, it had felt like the NFL was trying to put out an image of business as usual as much as possible. And we were wondering if that's an issue of posturing and, and just, you know, trying to put out reassurance. And that's the type of, you know, imaging and branding that you want and, you know, trying to exude confidence leading up to this. Or does it somehow reflect them really, you know, not having their bleep together and, you know, kind of scrambling as this is going along. And you wonder with some of the things that appear to still being figured out if it's I'm more the latter. I'm going and with if, and if it's, and just... I was going to say, you got to stop scrambling and you got to have your, you know, I's dotted and T's crossed like now. You're opening yeah, no, this you up need, for rookies you know, six next weeks, week. You know, three weeks, three weeks ago. You need like, because the, these are all things that need to be negotiated. We saw the problems that, that came up with the NF, uh, with, with Major League Baseball. And like, it, takes a few minutes to try to negotiate these things and we're talking about very intrusive um in intrusive testing intrusive tracing you got to figure out the money questions you know players want to be paid for training camp if the season gets shut down they want to be paid more for the season if that gets shut down after it starts like there's a lot of stuff to work out and the fact that they haven't yet with camps opening this week is mind-boggling um I, I wonder if that was expected unexpected um or if, if for league insiders who know how this works if it's business as usual we'll ask that question and a bunch of other ones to amy trask former raiders executive uh we'll do that next brian kamenetsky and andy kamenetsky is a saturday morning happy hour here on 710 espn you're listening to the Saturday Morning Happy Hour with the Cam Brothers. Unfortunately, he discovered too late that hermano in Spanish meant brother. Live and local on 710. Now Saturday mornings from 9 to 11 a.m. after Dr. Clapper. Oh, do you think so, doctor? This is the Saturday Morning Happy Hour on 710 ESPN. So, Andy, you and I, earlier in the week, when we have to make these decisions about production and we say, um, you know, who, do, who should we have on the show this weekend? And I said to you, let's get Amy Trask. Let's let's reach out early just in case the league kind of lights itself on fire over the course of the of, of these seven days. <laughs> so we have somebody ready to go. And I'm glad we did, Amy, because, um, wow, it's been a week. Amy Trask of CBS Force joins us now. Um, Thank you so much for coming on. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot to do. Um, first question for you, though. We've been talking a lot about the, the preparation for a season restart and what that could look like. And we've seen, you know, from JJ Watt this week and some memos going out that the the NFL and the Players Association have a ton of work to do. And full training camps are supposed to open on the 28th. So. Where do you think things are and, and how, how confident are you that they'll be able to open the league and everything on time? 
Well, first of all, men, thanks for having me on. I didn't know I was your light the fire, uh, you know, the world's going to light on fire, girl. But um, thank you very much for I'm honored by that, by the way. That's we we big, need you know. somebody who knows things like this. Yeah, we don't. A big honor. Um, thank you for having me on. The, you know, the answer is we don't know. None of us know. We're all simply trying to piece together, um, you know, pieces together and, and figure it out. And we don't know the answer. But here's what I do know. The league has an ability to move quickly when it wants to move quickly. But there's a very big caveat on this. In this instance, moving quickly isn't unilateral. Everything that's done needs to be negotiated between, agreed upon uh, by the NFL and the NFL Players Association. And look, I won't go too law school girl on you, even though there are some elements that need not be agreed upon technically pursuant to labor law and the terms of the CBA, it's the right thing to agree upon that. Mm -hmm. I worked for a man for almost 30 years who told me from the start of my career, the players are the game. And he was right. Without no play, without players, there is no game. And uh, I'll stop talking in one second, but I just want to add that um, I have long said that the most important words in business are communicate, collaborate, cooperate and coordinate and boy oh boy is that the case now this should be a collaborative approach between the players association and the league and we're talking with amy trask cbs sports uh former ceo of the raiders and i assume the man that you're referring to who gave you that advice about the players was the late al davis um right with with that in mind we've seen uh, the relationship between the players and the league, I think, safe to say, soured um, over the years. Um, and, and we're at a place where I think there's definitely degrees of uh, secession and animosity. How much do you think that can get worked past in terms of trying to have that speed that, that you were saying can happen when the league needs it with negotiations? And, and this is one of those times where it is necessary. Well, I agree with you, and I think you stated that beautifully. There is uh, a level of distrust, animosity, friction, whatever you want to, um, whatever term you want to use to describe it. And look, I recognize that each of these entities, the NFL on the one hand and the Players Association on the other hand, has a group of constituents to represent and that it's not always easy to reach agreement. I was in those rooms for three decades when we tried to reach agreement. But what I also know is that sometimes you have to say, this isn't about getting every single thing we want our way. This is about making a decision for the good of the league as a whole and every single person involved in the league, whether you are a player, a coach, a team executive, league staff, the owner of a business, every single person has the common interest that the league not only survive but thrive. This is an instance where we're not simply speaking of money and economic Mm -hmm. issues but health issues and personal issues and issues that frighten many people. We've never dealt with something like this before, certainly in my lifetime. Um, so they, there really needs to be collaboration. There's an expression in business, you know, let's sit across the table from one another and negotiate. No, don't sit across the table from one another and negotiate about this. Sit side by side and collaborate. Amy, how much does the experience that the NFL and the players have had with trying to develop safety protocols around uh, head injuries specifically, can that have any 
uh, you know, positive impact on this, just because some of the technology in terms of tracing and all that actually isn't that different than, than what could be used for, for concussions and things like that. Well, again, and, and I, I apologize that I sound like a broken record on this, mm-hmm. but I think what can come away from those discussions about other injuries, whether concussions or otherwise, and how to detect them and how to find them can be used in this instance. But this instance is different because right. of the contagious nature of the virus. Um, if you blow out a knee, if you get a concussion, if you hurt yourself, that's not contagious. This is a, a, everything you said and then some in terms of what needs to be done. We're talking with Amy Trask, CBS Sports, former CEO of the Raiders. With that in mind, Amy, what, let, let's just say that the players and the league ownership, everybody gets on the same page. And, and they, you know, there's a spirit of cooperation that's as high as it can possibly be. With all that in mind, what do you see as just the most logistically complicated parts uh, of getting the league going again? Wow, I think a lot of the logistics are complicated, including travel. I mean, look, look at the game of football. I mean, by definition, you Mm -hmm. can't play football at a distance. So all of the logistics, hotels and airlines and travel, you can do all you can, and you can do a lot to make those as safe as you can. But ultimately, you're putting offensive and defensive linemen within a foot or so of one another. And don't even get me started on what happens when someone's in the neutral zone, because that'll just set me off. Uh, (laughs) Um, And you're asking defensive backs to cover receivers. You're tackling. I mean, by definition, football can't be distance. So. All of the logistics can be um, addressed in a manner to minimize problems. The game itself is a game. Well, I once said early in my career, it's a contact sport, and a player very graciously interjected, no, and it's a collision sport. Right. I have to say, too, that the the, the, coronavirus certainly redefines the whole idea of what the neutral zone even would be. Uh, (laughs) Well, that kind of changes that. And I didn't mean to kind of swerve into that, but that is my P. That is of Mm -hmm. all the penalties in football, that is the one that has always infuriated me the most. I would look down at the field and I would see one of our men lined up in the neutral zone and my brain would just explode and I would want to run down on the field and say, look down, look at the ball and back the blank up. I mean, anyway, tell me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember when every single time I, I was I would split out as a as a receiver, I'd ask the referee. It's the worst is when the wide receivers do it because they got a guy right there they can ask. But anyway, you're right. Um, I, we I want to ask you a little down. bit. Of, Just look, look at the yeah, ball. You're right. I, you're, I, I would watch the tape. I'd be like six yards off the line of scrimmage. I was so worried <laughs> about it. I, was, I really took it to heart. Um, with what's going on in Washington right now, Amy. Um, you have a, a very unpopular owner in that in that community. You have, um, uh, you know, this is even before the news of this week. You have an unpopular owner. You have this whole thing, the controversy around the the nickname of the Washington football team um, and a lot of other things going on. And now on top of it, the report in The Washington Post this week, 15 women detailing uh, sexual harassment um, and other workplace abuses. What do you think happens with both that, I guess, that investigation, but also with Daniel Snyder. Well, you know, you've used the word popular. And at the end of the day, what matters in terms of how this moves forward vis-a-vis the ownership of the team depends on what happens within that room of 32 clubs. Um, There are 32 clubs. 
each of them has an equal vote, but not each of them has an equal voice, if you will. Not that they don't have an opportunity to have an equal voice, but some team ownership um, has more influence and, and opts to and chooses to and, and does have more do have more influence than other teams. So at the end of the day, what we see, whether there is a censure or a fine or greater action or no action at all, is going to depend on what happens between and among those 32 owners. Uh, we don't know yet how that will play out. The thing I found very interesting in all of this, or the most interesting, if you will, is that the league has taken somewhat of a back seat uh, and said, okay, Washington is going to investigate this um, independently. They've hired mm-hmm. counsel. That, that's, you know, and again, I'm going to sort of try not to divert too much into being your law school girl on the show right now, but. You know, for counsel to be truly, truly, truly independent, it shouldn't be hired by the very Correct. entity which it is investigating. So yes. I was, you know, a bit surprised, maybe not too surprised, that the NFL didn't come in and say, you know what, we're going to hire counsel. Now, of course, the counsel that Washington chose to hire is an attorney that the league has used quite a bit. One might wonder if they should be using an entirely different law firm altogether. Yeah. And I mean, the the way this investigation goes down, whether it's conducted by the team itself, by the league, if there are separate investigations, whatever, it, it still gets back to the idea that there is a problem culturally within the league, you know, to whatever degree you think it exists. It's definitely there as somebody who's, you know, you're a woman who's been inside the league, you've been around the league, you've held positions of power. How much do you think that this cultural issue truly matters to the league as opposed to simply just not wanting to to exist because they know it's not good for it? I believe it matters a great deal to some and not to others. I'm often asked, what do the teams think about X, whatever X may be? And I'm quick to say, well, there are 32 teams and each are structured differently and owned differently and managed differently. And they each have different views on things. So I do believe that there are those involved with clubs and with the league office itself that care deeply about this. And I believe there are those that care less and some that may not care at all. But one thing to remember when people talk about the league, what does the commissioner think? What does the league think? The league office employees are employees of those 32 clubs. In other words, if you work for the league office, no matter what your position is, you're an employee of those 32 clubs. So what, it, what will be done in this instance is going to be dictated by the 32 member clubs and mostly by those which yield the most influence, wield the most influence. Last question for you, Amy. We're talking with Amy Trask, CBS Sports, a longtime exec with the Raiders. And you've spoken a lot uh, over the years about your relationship with, with Al Davis. I, I was curious what, was there a distinction in your mind in your relationship with him between Al Davis, the boss, versus Al Davis, the friend? Um, wow, that that's not a quickie answer. Uh, he just was. Look, there are people that are going to be listening to this that love the Raiders and loved Al, and there are going to be people that are listening to this that can't stand the Raiders and didn't like Al. I hope, if we're all intellectually honest, we can agree that what he did in terms of hiring without regard to race, gender, ethnicity, and all the other individualities which have no bearing on whether one can do a job, and doing so at the time he did so, which was 
decades and decades and decades ago was tremendous. So when you asked me to separate the man for whom or with whom I worked from the person he was, I can't separate that because he led the organization in a manner true to the person he was. Well, I can tell you right now with our audience, they're going to love that response. We, we got a lot of Raider fans. <laughs> a lot of Raider fans. So. Well, I don't know that they're going to love the way I've been blabbering on and on on this show. But by way of disclaimer, I live somewhere in Los Angeles where it can be quite noisy at times. And it got noisy right before I jumped on with you. So I decided I would go sit in a closet. And meanwhile, every single dog and cat has decided to come in here with me. So if I've been babbling and rambling, I actually said yield instead of wield. Blame it on the dogs and cats. People, Amy, people, people would much rather hear you babble than us. So <laughs> I think it's a win for the audience. Uh, Amy Trask, CBS Sports, former executive for the Raiders. Thank you so much. This was awesome. We'd love to have you back. Well, I'd love to join you. Thanks for having me. And I'll try not to babble and try not to lock myself in a closet next time. Well, more the latter. We're, just, yeah. we're, concerned, we're concerned about your environment. Uh, thanks well, a lot. Thank Have you. a great weekend. We appreciate you it. You too. Um, let's, let's talk about that, Andy, there, because the, the, the stuff with Daniel Snyder, I think, is particularly interesting, because what Amy said there, it's like, you know, some people care, some people don't. And ultimately, that's going to be what dictates yep. that yep. and then one other thing. And you can probably guess what it is if you're driving around, but we'll tell you what it is next. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, Saturday Morning Happy Hour, 710 ESPN. This is the Saturday Morning Happy Hour on 710 ESPN. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. With the Cambros. <laughs> 710 ESPN, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, Saturday Morning Happy Hour. Uh, wrapping up here in a couple minutes, but you know, that was just awesome stuff from Amy Trask. We'll we'll, uh, we'll get the uh, the podcast of today's show tweeted out if you missed it. Um, the 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 stuff with Daniel Snyder, what happens to him? I I, I was on with Clinton yesterday, Clinton Yates, uh, who is from Washington. We were filling in for Sedano, and you know he is you know, just obviously deeply just like everything that's going on with this team. And we we're talking about the mechanics of of getting rid of him, and the closest thing I could come up with, Andy you know, from an LA standpoint was Frank McCourt and that whole saga, because in Washington, people are kind of voting with their feet. He said, attendance is down. Like it's not, there's not as much enthusiasm, all that. There was a dip in attendance with the Dodger fans in 2011. And there was some of that and you know, all that. And Frank McCourt was wildly unpopular and Daniel Snyder was unpopular, but ultimately what forced Frank McCourt out wasn't the fact that he was unpopular. It was the fact that he, they couldn't pay his bills. He had too much debt. He didn't have enough money to own the team anymore. If he was richer, would he have, like, would he have been forced to sell? I mean, and, and Frank, I want to be fair. Frank McCourt wasn't accused of, of, of having things go on in the organization that were similar to Daniel Snyder. No, he was he just was accused of reviled. using the organization as a piggy bank. I mean, right. he it's was not reviled. like he wasn't accused of doing nothing inappropriate correct organization i just just not these inappropriate things correct i just i i don't want people to think that the state that they they are completely 100 exactly the same situation no they're not i mean look you can also point to a local example in terms of bad ownership that it took something pretty pretty momentous to get them out and that's donald sterling with the clip correct because for decades we knew that you know forget being a bad human being and frankly, I think all of us, and I'm including we myself, it, well, I was going to say all of us in the local media did not do a good enough job 
of reminding people that, hey, it's really inappropriate for Donald Sterling to be owning an NBA team. But the fact remained, he actually was a horrible owner as far as being, you know, just a competency. You Which, know, by the way, competency. Also, Daniel Snyder. Bad. Daniel Snyder has owned the team since 1999. He's had six winning seasons since 99. One of them was the first year that he took over. Um, another of those was an 8-7-1, and one, so he barely snuck in there. His record is 142-93-1. So, like, there, there are a lot of reasons you could point to that Daniel Snyder shouldn't be owning a team regardless of the culture that, you know, at best he was oblivious to, at worst he turned a blind eye to, or, or in some of this reporting, you know, while he's not accused of the sexual harassment himself, he is certainly accused of treating employees in a, in a way that could make employees below him think it would be okay to treat their right. underlings badly. Exactly. And I think that's part of it. And like, you know, but, but, you know, to use the Donald Sterling example, what was it ultimately they got him forced out? It was the tape with V. Stiviano. It was the Magic Johnson thing. It was all that stuff. But it was the people pulling their money out. That's what it was. And like, so with... Um, that's what it is with, with, uh, with Washington. It's why are they finally changing the name? Because FedEx and all their corporate sponsors said, we're not going to, we're not going to sponsor the team. We won't give you the hundreds of millions of dollars that you gain from our sponsorship unless you do. And so uh, if those sponsors don't pull out or whatever, because of this, I don't know if the NFL is going to force Daniel Snyder out of the game. I don't know if they uh, can. Two, two things. Uh, if I read the record incorrectly, 142, 193, and 1, uh, Washington in the 20 years with uh, Daniel Snyder. But, like, you know, what's interesting is when you read this report um, about what was going on in Washington and the culture, it, it brings back his reaction to the idea of changing the name. And, you know, the mm -hmm. statement that he made that in so many words was, over my dead body, will we change our team's racist nickname? Right. And that's, that's the type of behavior that makes it believable that he would look the other way on this stuff or that he would belittle employees as he's been uh, accused of because he didn't care about the feelings of Native Americans across this country with that nickname. So if he doesn't care about them, you start wondering, who does Daniel Snyder care about, period? Yeah, and it makes a lot of this feel believable. It is um, it's a mess that they have on their hands. And Amy Trask is exactly right. A truly independent investigation will be one in which the uh, team isn't paying for it. I'm not trying to impugn the lawyer uh, who's in charge of it, but that's just truth. Um, so, and again, there's so much stuff that we had uh, today on the show. Great stuff from Tanya Ganguly. Great stuff from Amy Trask. We'll make sure to get that podcast sent out to everyone. Reminder, late night happy hour. Every night on the station's uh, Twitter feed and Periscope feed from 10 to 11. No show next week. Uh, Lakers basketball comes back. So the first scrimmage uh, will yes. be here at 9 Looking forward to that. So no show next week. We'll be back in a couple weeks for more Saturday, ha Saturday happy hour, 710 ESPN.